Working Class Audio is brought to you by Universal Audio, Audio Technica, Loudon Audio, Focal Monitors, and Gearsluts.com. This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 136. Working Class Audio, navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreaux. Thanks, Chuck. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is session 136 you're listening to. And my guest today is Mr. Kevin Becca. And I'm sure if you read any magazines or pay any amount of attention in the pro audio world, you have heard of Kevin. He's currently the co-director of education and an instructor over at the Blackbird Academy. He is also the technical editor at Mix Magazine. Uh, of course, he's a member of AES, and uh, he's also a member of the Country Music Association, the CMA. He did spend 10 years as the director of education and uh, as an instructor over at CRAS, the Conservatory of Recording Arts and Sciences in Gilbert, Arizona. He also spent three years as the editor of uh, Audio Media Magazine, and the uh, he spent a year as the editor of Pro Audio Review. He's also a recording engineer. I met Kevin on a tour of Blackbird Studios, and I think we'd met one other time in the past. Anyways, Kevin Becca is coming up. One of the things we're going to talk about that uh, we're both very interested in, in promoting and making sure that people adopt it, is Soundways uh, at soundways.com have a plugin called RIN-M, R-I-N-M. And what it is, it's a Basically, it's a plugin to capture metadata and turn that into an XML file. And that XML file is meant to be passed on. The REN file is meant to be passed on from, you know, engineer uh, with tracking engineer to mix engineer to mastering engineer so that metadata is collected along the way and people get credit for what they do, you know, as far as everybody from the people in the band, songwriter, producer, engineer, mixer, mastering engineer, all that data, plus the source format, the final mix format, trying to capture all that into an XML file. So we can all start to get credit for what we do because the ability is there for uh, databases to, to capture this information, read this information, but we have yet come up with a way to uh, present that information in a way that all of us can adopt. So the plugin's free. I'm going to include a link in the show notes. So please download it, learn about it. Kevin and I are going to talk about it soon in our call. And uh, yeah, so more on that to come. Ren M from soundways.com. Yeah, please check that out. A uh, couple things. Defiant Ones, documentary on HBO about Jimmy Iovine and Dr. Dre. Highly encourage you to watch it. Great four-part series. Once again, like the uh, Hip Hop Evolution on Netflix, this series tracks the the two careers of Dr. Dre and Jimmy Iovine and how they eventually came together and eventually sold Beats by Dre, the headphone company, to Apple. And that's not really the point in that I got out of it other than, yeah, they had a great economic windfall. But more the point is, is the, the persistence and the patience and the constant reinvention of each of these guys. Uh, really inspiring on many levels, and I encourage you to check it out, Defiant Ones on HBO. And you can actually catch a glimpse of our friends, Steve Jenowick and Al Schmidt. They're in there for a brief second, sitting next to Dr. Dre at Capital Tracking Strings for, I believe, for... Um, straight out of Compton for the movie. So be sure and check that out. Uh, let's see what else. AES in New York is coming up. It's October 18th through the 21st. It's the 143rd AES convention. Check that out online and make your reservations 
as soon as possible to get the best deal, of course, uh, for your hotels, Airbnbs, VRBOs, all that stuff. Uh, yeah, come on down. I am on the fence. I don't know if I'm coming or not. I'm looking at uh, ticket prices and I'm also looking at, you know, family schedule and trying to figure out if it's going to work. And speaking of conferences, Winter NAM, January 25th to the 28th in Anaheim, California of 2018, of course. That I will be at for sure. And uh, I may join all of my friends in uh, the Audio All-Stars International group, which is basically a group of bloggers and podcasters and YouTubers that I've mentioned before. We're all probably going to converge together because uh, we've all become friends and, you know, now we all hang out online and offline. So uh, anyways, that's it. NAM winter 2018, January 25th through the 28th. Reminder to, if you could, subscribe to the show via your favorite podcast aggregator. Really want to try to just get all of you listening as much as I can. So spread the word, subscribe if you haven't already. You know, whether you're on iTunes, Google, or Stitcher, wherever you get your favorite podcasts, uh, make sure and subscribe. And while you're at it, I'm going to ask that you subscribe to our email list, which I don't really use that often. And I know, what's the point of using the, what's the point of me signing up, Matt, if I'm not going to, you know, get emails from you? I'm going to start emailing people. I'm going to start sending notices about the guests, and I'm going to try to see if I can include some extra bits in there for you. I know I made all these big announcements about making all these changes to the podcast, and, and I'll be honest with you, I've been through a lot of ideas, and I've you know, vetted them thoroughly and thought through a lot of them, talked to a lot of people and really trying to make sure that we keep the podcast on track and that we also do not veer from too far off the beaten path. I don't want to offer you stuff that's not useful. So I'm being kind of picky. But one step is, is to subscribe to that email list so I can at least announce to you via uh, MailChimp is what we use through email who the guests are and more information on them, any uh, show notes that I have. So you could just get it in your inbox and you don't have to always, you know, worry about going to the website to get the information. Um, although, you know, that's good too. And uh, also just a word to follow us on all social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, uh, where we are posting stuff. So that's that. Um, want to give a shout out, of course, to our friends over at Gear Sluts. Please visit the Audio Live sub forum, which we sponsor. And I also want to give a shout out to our friends over at Universal Audio. Make sure that you get a hold of your Apollo if you're planning on buying one soon, because that special that they've been running to get extra plugins, the Apollo Rack Dream Studio promotion is going to come to an end at the end of August. So you want to be sure and get on that. And also, if you want to see a really cool video, I know I've talked to you about the Jakir King video. There's a, a great video with Joey Warnocker on there now up on the UA site where you can watch him come actually to the UA headquarters and record a song with um, one of the guys from the New Pornographers and a group of people. It's really great. Thoroughly enjoyed it. And uh, it's a good song, but also just fascinating to watch the process of tracking through Apollos exclusively where you're using preamp modeling, compressor and EQ modeling. Uh, to track directly into your DAW. So be sure and check that out. That's it. Uh, let's get down with it. Yeah, let's talk to Kevin Becca here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Matt. Glad to be here. And it's quite a pleasure and an honor to be on your show. Well, thanks. I got a load of stuff to talk to you about. Let's start off with uh, the the one topic that I think both of us, I get a sense we're both a little passionate about 
based on our posts on social media and my discussion with you at uh, Blackbird when I met you there. Uh, Ren M by Soundways, the plug-in. Tell me about that. Yeah. Well, that was a funny thing because uh, Gabri came to see me. I'd never met him before, and we made this meeting at Blackbird, and I said, uh, yeah, I just come, I'm in Studio C, you know, drop on by. So he came by, and and the meeting was about something else. It was about his products, because I was reviewing for uh, Mix, one of my other gigs is, I do product reviews for Mix Magazine, but I was reviewing his other products, and then he says, oh, and I got this other thing I'm working on. He started telling me about it, and I was just like immediately interested because I've been following this story for a dozen years through the P&E wing, and I was invited to uh, their breakfast meetings a few times at NAM and AES, and at one point, metadata was really at the front of the line with uh, P&E. Now it's more high-res audio. They're pushing that. So, But anyway, so I'd met with John Spencer from BMS Chase when it was BMS Chase. And then now it's run by Deborah Deloach. And I had lunch with her a few weeks ago. Anyway, they're working on the same kind of thing. And then I talked to Maureen Droney at P&E. And she said, oh, yeah, there's all these different companies. There's Oddly and there's Jamber. And so I started doing research on it. And it was always the same problem in that it was uh, either something for pay which people aren't going to pay just human nature and how much money audio people have, which is none. They're not going to pay to put their credits up online. You know, it just makes no sense. It should be something that's fairly free and it, 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 you know, just like it always was. So I did a bunch of research. I did a column on it on metadata. When Gabri told me what he was doing, it was going to be a free plugin and it was going to sit in Pro Tools. That immediately just the light bulb went on and it was like, that's the one because it's in Pro Tools. You never have to leave. It's not online. And just knowing how workflow goes in the studio, there's just no time to, to leave during a session, especially when this would happen. When you talk to the guitar player, it says, hey, what's your, you know, what's your ISNI code? Or can I get your name and you know, your address or whatever other credits are going in there? It's so much easier. You, know, you could do it during playback if it was in Pro, Pro Tools. And so P&E was, uh, was trying to convince Avid and... Uh, um, a bunch of other companies to, you know, put code into the DAWs. And I was like, man, that's just a dead end. Because if they do it, and then, you know, Studio One doesn't do it, then you've got this scattered group of people just kind of, you know, doing it and not doing it. This way, it's a DAW agnostic plugin or a freestanding app. You can even use it that way. And it adheres to the DDEX standard, which was developed by Tony Brook and a couple other people. So it's recording information notification is the RIN standard and DDEX came up with that. And it's not, not anything new. It just kind of went through its last incarnation last year. So it's the timing's perfect. It's beautiful. It has some flaws in that, you know, who owns this data and is it right? And But that's kind of always been the problem anyway with record companies. I mean, I have credits on records I worked on where my name's spelled wrong. If I go on all music and, and look for certain spellings of my name, it's like, oh, there's that one record where... They got it wrong, you know. Oh, so. yeah. I mean, Boudreaux is, pff, that's easy to slaughter. Plus uh, the fact that, you know, not, I'm try not trying to ding all music here, but I don't give people my all music link because it omits a yeah. ton of records that I've worked on. And I feel like, how do I correct that? And it's, it's a cluster. So what I'm curious about, about the workflow of this is I, I understand that you instantiate the plugin you can create profiles yeah. and you can populate the plugin and, and generate all this metadata for all the people involved. And let's say that I'm the tracking engineer. I start it 
And then when I send the stuff to the mixing engineer, he or she imports the RIN data into their mixing sessions. And then they send it down the line, say to the mastering engineer, what does the mastering engineer do with it? Uh, he probably puts his credits in there and then talk. And, and there's, um, there's a slot on the front or some fields on the front for the final format. You know, is it DSD? Is it, you know, did he change the sample rate? You know, he would have the least input, you know, for, he would put him and his staff, if somebody assistant worked on it or whatever, and then he would be the last link in the chain, you know? And then uh, where does it go from the mastering engineer? Like, So from there, and this, this is where now the ball's not in our court anymore. It's in the streaming end. I was looking at some Facebook posts from Russ at Pro Tools Expert, and he uh, was looking at Tidal. And Tidal has a ni- really nice list of credits on their songs. So, and that's all metadata too. So they're they're down with it, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But is you know Pandora, Spotify, there has to be now uh, an avenue where all that stuff is integrated and searchable from there, you know, from their end. And do you think if we gather enough momentum in the pro audio community, we can really kind of get everybody on board? Yeah, because, uh, and, and Gabri's been talking to these people too, and he's been talking to Warner and some other labels and, uh, you know, if Universal gets on board and things like that, you know, EMI, then that would drive the other streaming companies because it's all about, you know, that money from the streaming end just sits in a pile. You know, they're they're mandated by law to put together, put aside a percentage of their income to make available to the creators, right? Right. But unless the cre- creators come and claim it, they don't go looking for you. It doesn't work like it used to. So there's no check in the mail until you claim it. And then to claim it, of course, you have to prove you worked on the project, you know, and that's <laughs> the rub. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, so now if they have this metadata, then that money starts filtering out and the pile gets smaller as it's distributed. And, you know, there's, there's some bugs, I'm sure, to iron it out. But I mean, at least this to me is the big step that needed to happen in that it puts it in the hands of, of the average Joe, you know, for, for no money. And my students at the Blackbird Academy, as soon as I told them about it, they get it right away because they have no skin in the game at all. They're not on a label. You know, they're probably doing their own thing. They're using DistroKid or something like that to claim their money. And without credits, they're kind of cast adrift. Yeah. So now they have a claim and they have a way to, you know, get their name out downstream, which is fantastic. So that's really, really good. Just kind of a parting thought on this. I'm I'm imagining just from a workflow perspective in a session, maybe there, there could be a printouts, maybe somebody could create a printout where the assistant could then go around to everybody in the session and get down all their information. And Uh then, you know, those in the studio can assemble it so as to not mess too much with the, uh, the flow of the session. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great idea. In fact, uh, we, the next class that's coming through now that we're just going to start training next week, part of their responsibilities will be to, when they do their projects to submit to me as for a grade, the RIN data. Mm. And then I'll, imp- I'll import it and grade it just to see how far they went and you know who's on it and all that kind of stuff. And then, so I, I'm already trying to integrate it into our flow at the Academy right off the bat, you know, so they, they understand that this thing has to happen. And for the audience, I'll, I'm going to put a link in the show notes. So be sure and look at the show notes for today's episode. Be sure and check that out. So obviously metadata and all this that we're talking about, we could have a whole episode just on on some of these topics and people getting uh, their back-end money, what little there is. But I want to move on, and, and you've given me a great segue. I want to talk to you about Blackbird and uh, what you do there. And 
but to the best of my knowledge, you're not from Nashville. No. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your background and and, and uh, your time prior to living in Nashville. Out of high school, I moved to Los Angeles and I lived there for 18 years. And uh, my intention was be to, to be a studio guitar player. And I went and played in bands and I did a lot of work, studio work and wrote some music and studied with anybody I could get my hands on Dick Grove School of Music and Albert Harris. I did orchestration with him. And then I studied guitar with a guy named Mike Anthony, who was a studio guy who played on the Carol Burnett show in the pit. And then Joe DiOrio and all these kind of people. So so anyway, I did that. And then I, I always had day gigs because I was playing in bands at night. And that kind of work was like, you know, on again, off again. So I was working at a hotel. I worked at a, a, a clothing company. I was a messenger. I did all kinds of stuff, you know, and then I, I played sometimes seven nights a week with a band. So, and then a couple of friends of mine who had actually moved to LA a year before me were working in uh, one of them, Dave Rideau was working at Westlake Audio because he'd helped build the studio. And now he was assisting like, you know, George Duke and Quincy Jones and all these great people. So, you know, we'd go down and record on off hours. They let them use the rooms and we went in there and made a bunch of music. So I met a guy through him. His name's Eduardo Fayad, and he uh, was building a studio at Colfax and Ventura. So uh, he hired me as a construction worker. Hmm. So I built this studio. There was a crew of three or four of us and Eduardo, and we put this room together. It was just a single room, not too big, Spectrosonics console and, and uh, Studer multitracks and things like that. And it was a tight little room, and it, it was fairly busy. And then right in front of us, the building in front of us was Freddie Perrin's office. And Freddie Perrin was like the king of disco. So he he wrote a bunch of the songs and uh, discovered Peaches and Herb and Gloria Gaynor, I Will Survive, and all those great, great hits that came out of him and Dino Fakaris. So he wanted to buy that studio because it was literally out his back door. So Eduardo sold him that room. And then he built another room and I worked on that room. So in, in, the, in between, I was going back to my day, other day gigs and, you know, it was a typical LA when you're in your 20s and moving all the time, didn't have a lot of furniture, very mobile, whatever I could fit in my car, my guitar, my amps, and my clothes and boxes or whatever. So, which was a fantastic experience. I mean, I'm not saying that as a bad thing at all. So then I built that room and then I decided, you know, the guitar thing, I've been playing in bands and not really getting anywhere. And uh, so I thought, man, I want to get into studio work. So I told him, when you, when we're done with this room, if possible, I'd love to be an assistant. He already had an assistant. So about a year later, this guy left and I got the gig. And day one, I was working on a record. And it was one of those things, like in those days, there was no schools. There was just, you came up through the system. So uh, I was working with Michael Marty and his producer. And Terry Christian was the engineer who I'm still buddies with because they moved here in 94. So I was just thrown into the deep end, like right away. And I didn't, I knew enough, but not a lot, you know? So I could get around. And I remember Terry, who was my first mentor, he told me to do something. I think it was something like, hey, can you mult the vocal to the channel next to where it is right now, like 38 or whatever? And I said, you know, it was like speaking Chinese, you know? So I said, <laughs> I said to him, I said, look, I don't know what you just told me to do, but if you show me one time, I promise you'll never have to tell me again. I knew other stuff and I was, you know, I could I could put together a signal chain and I understood patch bays. And so, and then I bought a notebook that was huge and I just started writing all these things down. So, you know, one day we'd do a TV show. There was this, this short run TV show called the Torkelsons. We'd have like in the studio, just jam next to another, like a guitar player with his amp, 
next to a bass player with his amp, next to a harmonica player, and then, you know, Ralph Grierson on piano, and then a drummer all in the same room, you know, kind of a like a, a TV date, you know. And then we had to synchronize cameras. And at that time, there was, uh, to get MIDI to Simpty, there was this box, Roland box called the SBX80. They had the worst manual ever. <laughs> it was literally uh, translated from Japanese directly, really poorly. And so you'd go into it and say, look, how do I just get output from this thing? And it was like this reading hieroglyphic. So anyway, I took notes on that so I could go back and and next time it came in, I would just go to my page and say, oh, yeah, let's push this and, you know, click this three times and say the magic word or whatever. <laughs> so uh, so it was just things like that. And it was just like a, I was working, you know, 50, 60 hour weeks and and uh, with the greatest engineers in town. And Nick Gazowski moved in for uh, a, a little over a year and started doing projects in there. So I, I assisted him. And then Umberto Gatica came in with David Foster and we worked on the Bodyguard soundtrack. And then Quincy Jones came in and worked on Back on the Block and then Gladys Knight and, you know, you name it. We we're coming into the studio and it was just like rapid fire <laughs> kind of learning in the trenches. So it was really, really great experience. And I learned a ton in a very short time. So so that's where I was until 1994, uh, where the earthquake kind of kicked me out of LA. I lost the house and it was just financially a disaster. And so I moved back to Arizona where I went to high school and I started finding work, you know. So I picked up my guitar again, got in a band, and then I started thinking I could write for a magazine, you know. So I approached Nick Batsdorf, who was the editor of Recording Magazine, and I asked him, I said, hey, look, you know, do you need a columnist or anything? And I was really comfortable with writing too. So it was always something I was really interested in and good at. So he said, well, you know, what do you got? And I said, well, I got all this notebook with just scads of recording tips and mic placement and all these things. I said, I know I could come up with, you know, some kind of, not a column, if not column, then maybe a really good article on recording techniques, you know, just from, from LA, you know, experience. So he said, okay, do that. So I did that and he ran it he split it into two issues. And then uh, he said, can you do a product review? And I said, yeah, you know, I, I use products and I can write, so let's give it a shot. And he sent me this microphone and it was awful. The microphone sucked so bad. <laughs> and it was my first review and I felt horrible. I said, you know, this thing and I'm going to turn in this review and it's not going to be favorable. And so I just told him, I said, the mic is horrible. I said, it's, it's thin, a 57, you know, a mic, a quarter of the cost of this thing sounds way better. He says, well, let me get you another one. Maybe it's just a bad mic. And the second one came in, boom, same thing. So I, I just said, look, I, I'll, I'll write this review and it's not going to be favorable, but I, you know, I apologize. And if that doesn't work for you or whatever, and he says, no, no, that's what I want. He says, you know, and I'd never written a review before. So so then I hooked up with a, a Pro Audio Review magazine that John Gatsky was running out of Washington, D.C., and I started writing for them. And then he, one day he called me and he said, hey, would you, and I was in Arizona at the time doing working like three jobs. He said, would you be into being the editor of this magazine? And I was just like, somebody could have said, would you want to go to the moon this afternoon for lunch? It would have been the same reaction. It was like, what? You know, I... I don't know. What, what? Tell me about it. So he told me about it. And it was, and it, it was, he said, you'd have to move to DC. And I really didn't have anything holding me in Phoenix. In fact, I w w didn't enjoy it there very much. So, cause I'd been, the, you know, it's where you grow up and you kind of want to get out of town, you know? So, yeah. so I said, yeah, I'll do it. So I moved to DC and then they bought audio media magazine, uh, which was based out of the UK and uh, the office, U.S. office was in Nashville. So I volunteered after a year in D.C., which I loved, but I knew I could never buy a house there, or, you know, settle down because yeah. it was so expensive. Very. Even at that so, time. 
oh, even at that time, it was r- ridiculous, you know? So I said, I'll volunteer to go to Nashville. So I, ca- I came here um, for my first round. And then that went for about three years. I was editor of the ma- that magazine. And my boss was in the UK. And I got to travel a bit and went to AES in Europe a few times. And it was fantastic. And then they, uh, you know, through the, after 9-11 and kind of the internet, what it did to magazines at the time and, and still now, it's just kind of like narrowed the pool of money out to digital and print and, you know, that kind of thing. So they closed the office. And at that time, I was invited to go up to Skywalker for a, for like a sleepover night, which was like a dream. <laughs> and I was like, what? You, you know, this, um, they had just put a new Neve console in there. And AMS Neve brought a bunch of press up there and they said, look, you can stay at Skywalker overnight. We're going to have a party. And then, well, you know, if you you do a story, you can interview Leslie Ann Jones and and see the facilities and everything like that. So I had to call this lady and said, look, you know, they just closed our office in Nashville, this, this PR lady, Robin Hoffman. And I said, you know, I can't really accept the invitation because I'm no longer editor of the magazine. So she said, she says, hold on, let me call you right back. So she called me back in about 15 minutes. She says, you know what? You're still going to go. We want you to go and then do some networking. And we think you should be there. That was like amazing. And so so I went and I met Tom Kenny from Mix Magazine, the editor. Oh, yeah. And uh, he ended up hiring me to be the tech editor within three months. So within three months, I had another gig, which was great. And then uh, I also got courted by a school in Arizona to be their director and instructor. So I went there and I basically was director of their new facility and I taught some classes and, and developed curriculum and things like that. So how did you feel about going back there? Because that's in Gilbert, Arizona. Well, yet again, Arizona, Arizona. Drew, drew me back. And honestly, I put it off as long as I could thinking that, you know, cause I had a home in Nashville and I loved it here and and the weather was great and people were nice. And I had friends here now, you know, Terry Christian and another buddy of mine who I actually had lived next door to uh, during the earthquake, Bob Sabellica, who works for Pearl Drums right now. So anyway, it was just like one of those things like, okay, you know, moving for work and it was, the money was good and I, I did it. So I, you know, since then I've been, uh, I did that for 10 years until we started putting Blackbird together. And I'm still with Mix. So that's since 2003. So 14 years, I guess, uh, with Mix. Kevin Becca here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. We're going to take our sponsor break with Audio Technica here now. You know, I did say that before I went to Nashville, I was going to order the uh, the noise-canceling headphones that Audio Technica makes. But I dropped the ball and I didn't get to those. I didn't get to ordering it. So um, I did bring with me on the plane the ATH-E40 um, professional in-ear monitor headphones that I have. 99 bucks, really great. And here's how great they are. It's a Southwest flight. So I'm like, you know, in the B group, walking on going, oh boy, am I going to get a good seat or not? And there's an aisle seat. And I think, oh my gosh, an aisle seat. Why is everybody passing this up? Well, there was a young couple there with a 10-month-old baby. And I thought, should I? And I thought, I'm going to do it. I sat down in that seat and immediately <laughs> I just said, I communicated with the couple and was, you know, you know, making faces at the baby. And I, and I told the baby as kind of a passive way to uh, tell the parents, I said, if you need to cry in this flight, you just do it. That's your job. And so the, putting the parents at ease, of course. And uh, then I just put my, <laughs> my E40s in. Problem solved. Well, the baby didn't really cry too much, cried a little bit, but not that I could really hear because I had my in-ear headphones in and blocked pretty much almost all of it out and was sitting peacefully right next to this crying baby. It was pretty amazing. So check them out, ATH E40s. 
in-ear monitors come in a nice little box. They can loop over your ears. They have different uh, detachable uh, earpieces to get the right fit for ear, your ear. Uh, they're made of silicone and uh, extra small, small, medium, and large. And uh, like I said, a carry case for it all. 99 bucks. Really great. Uh, you can pick them up over at audio-technica.com. So be sure and check those out. A-T-H-E 40. All right, let's get back to our interview with Kevin Becca here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Tell me about Blackbird. Um, we took a group of guys and I took a tour when I was there in Nashville for a summer nam and you know i've long heard about it obviously you know i'm fr good friends with vance powell and mark rubel and you know i'd met john mcbride before and I'd seen things online but man to see it in person and to see the amount of not only the amount of gear but the level of detail that has gone into that facility makes me think okay they're going to do an academy this could only be good yeah yeah and so so this the way this happened is and, and and this goes along with the rest of my life that anytime I've gotten a job that I loved, I was the the second or third person in line, you know. It was like never it was like this guy doesn't want to do it, this guy doesn't want to do it. So do you want to do it? And I was like, "Yes, absolutely, I'll do it." You know. So so that was kind of it. They had, John had been trying to put a school in there for like 5 years, you know. He went he he went the long route. He he, he didn't quite he doesn't come from the education side. So some of the things that happen in education are frankly baffling on how you have to teach a certain way and to get government money and be accredited and all these kind of crazy things that you do. So, um, and he, he had met up with Mark uh, earlier than uh, maybe a year or two before I got involved and they were talking about it. And so Tom Kenny knew John really well. And through a series of events, Tom and I talked and he goes, you know what? And I needed a job. So he said, uh, hey, McBride's looking for one of these calls out of the blue again. McBride's looking for somebody to run his studio side of the school. And with your experience, I told him all about you. He loves the idea. Give him a call like right now. So John is one of those guys that it's, he, I mean, he'll call you three in the morning. He's like, I don't know if he ever sleeps. He is incredible. So he's got 50 plates spinning at one time. He's on the board at Claire. He is a live sound engineer for Martina. He's a recording engineer. He does recording projects. He runs the studio. He's a dad with, with you know, three daughters. And, you know, I mean, all that alone would kill the average man, but not him. Anyway, I called, I talked to John and we started talking about it. And I came out here and did a presentation because I had, I, I'd had ideas on how to teach audio in a better way that nobody was doing. And frankly, it came from my, how I learned, you know, how I learned it, what I talked about those, you know, 60 hour weeks and intense, repetitious uh, workflows that, you know, threw a lot of curveballs at you and that kind of thing. So I thought, man, you know, if you could learn that way, rather than what I call the appetizer plate where you have, you know, a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of this. And at the end, you have a little bit of everything some of it ties together, some of it doesn't, and it's not a great way to learn uh, audio, especially. Maybe, maybe something other field that would be great, but for audio, especially, you know. So I, I told John, I said, look, rather than be an inch deep and a mile wide, I rather we would be a foot square and a mile deep, so that you know what we're going to teach is you know a very intense set of skills on how to make a record. 
you know, mm-hmm. which is a which is a dying art, honestly. You know, and I saw it from my my magazine experience, where now that everybody can buy a studio at a Best Buy or online, it's from Sweetwater, and you get it home and you have all these all these boxes and then fifteen manuals. It you know, and it tells you how to run the gear, but it doesn't tell you how to place a mic and sweeten it and and you know troubleshoot and all these things that need to happen in a studio. And, you know, you can watch a video on it, but when you're in the the trench and there's a band out there waiting to record, there's something about that that puts your, you know, puts your butt on the hot seat and makes you do things in a way that, you know, and learn in a way that you never get from any other experience. So, so that's what I told him. I said, look, and, and I, I suggest we write our own curriculum because right now, you know, in my experience, I taught at Belmont for a year when I was here before, and I worked at uh, that school from Arizona, and I went to Denmark, and I taught at another school in Copenhagen. I said, you know, rather than teach out of books, we're going to buy a lot of paper, and it's not consecutive, and it's not specific. I said, you know, I can write, and Mark and I, and, and whoever else, Kyle at Live, we can write these books and put them in iBook format, and they'll be interactive and, you know, that kind of thing. And right now, we have 33 books you know, on anything you can imagine. So, and they're all specifically Blackbird Academy. And in fact, I got a Rin book I wrote for Gabri that's going to be free from his site. That's uh, uh, like a seven page kind of a primer on what Rin is and what DDEX is and what ISNI is and ISRC and all those kind of codes. And that's the one you sent me that, right? That's the one you sent me that I read. Yes, exactly. Wow. And and you just like put that together so fast. Yeah. Well, after writing about 32 of those books, I can do it really fast and I understand how the, how the format works. So it's more about me just spilling my thoughts into it. Like I would a product review or a column. I do, I do a monthly column for mix. So my throughput is fairly quick right now. So an art, uh, I, I understand the art and how to, how to manage Photoshop and colorize and all this kind of stuff. So it's just from doing it a lot, you know? So we have books on patch base, for instance, that iBooks has this great thing where you can link text to a pop-up box. So on an on a patch bay book, I have the rows that I put in like kind of a spreadsheet format that are colored just like the like an SSL patch bay for instance the uh, the multi track returns are green and uh, you know everything like it would be on the patch bay so it looks the same, and then it's just a label the numbers aren't as important because anybody can count the numbers aren't important as the label which sometimes can be really cryptic like on an SSL patch bay a return can be an output and or an input and a send can be an output or an input mm-hmm. you know just because it's and it's for the novice that is the hardest thing. So I'm, I'm like, don't read this, know it by position or color at first. And then when you understand that, then you can go there and get in the ballpark. Because if you're reading, you have a 50%, especially on a sender or return, you have a 50% chance of being wrong, which are not good odds. Anyway, so the, uh, the Patch Bay book, when you tap on the name of multi-track return, there's a pop-up window that comes and explains contextually what that is and how it compares to the Patch Bay in Studio A, which is a Neve Patch Bay, or the one in Studio D, which is an API patch bay, or anything like that. So, in the, all these, all the studios of Blackbird have a patch bay book. And then there's console books for the one for the Legacy Plus. There's one for the 1608. There's one for the Neve in Studio A that you saw, and also there's one for the SSL uh, 9K. That's how the book the books grow. And then uh, day one, when they come in, I push them the books to these iPads and that's what they get. They get the iPads with 33 books and then we start hammering home and we have a on, you know, we have an on-site wiki where there's all kinds of other templates for mixing and vocal stacking and there's a vocal stacking book and then you download the template. So the, the Academy itself is just another extension of the level of detail that is 
put into the studio, it seems. That's exactly what happened. So, and how I wrote these books was I would, I would either observe or talk to the assistants at Blackbird, like Sean or Seth or Ernesto or any of these guys that are working with Joe Bonamassa or, you know, you name the artist, Keith Urban or whoever's in there. And I watched how they do something, you know, and I have a certain way I do things and I watched what they do and I go, "Uh oh, hey, you know what? Explain that to me. It's kind of like what I went through with Terry Christian, you know, it's like full circle. Explain that to me and I'm going to write it down and put it in a book for the students. And that's what we teach the Blackbird way of doing a session in class, in, in my classes. So That's interesting. Now, I wonder what happens, the, the student that graduates and they go on to work for a, another studio that may not even be up mm-hmm. to the standards of Blackbird. Well, that's what's been happening. So for instance, we've got five guys that have been employed now by Candace at East West, because immediately she saw, okay, you know what, when we make a label, for instance, and it gets down to the the basics, like emptying the trash and the things you'd have to do in a studio to be a, and then we tell them from, I tell them from day one, it's like, you're a, you're a five-star concierge at a, at a studio. He says, I you're a service provider and you're doing the jobs that nobody, that could, the creative people don't want to do. And when you provide that service, you're putting yourself in line to be that creative person on the next level. So basically, you know, if somebody sees you, and this is, this happens uh, all the time, is you know somebody works, and, and it's not it just for Blackbird, but anytime you have a great assistant that comes through, and uh, a great assistant at a studio, and an artist comes through, or a producer, or an engineer, and they see that person, and they go, "You need to work with me." So leave this place and come to my place. That's, you know, age old. And that's getting back to the the kind of how we built the program is that it's the it's the techniques and the things that worked in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s that we're bringing forward into now. When they go to these studios to work, they see like when they make a label for a, um, uh, like a piece of outboard gear that's in the signal chain that's being recorded, it's in red and the label is done on white console tape. And there's a tab on one end that you make so you can easily take it off at the end of the day. And the other end is squared off. It's not some ripped off looking thing. It's a very squared off piece of tape. If it's in the record path, it's red. If it's in the listen path, it's black. And that goes for anything on the console. So that's a Blackbird thing. I'm sure other people do it, but the way we do it is very, very strict and very focused. So, and that's just labeling. You take that and you go into, you know, wrapping mic cables and placing mics and, you know, logging things out when you go to rentals and all these kind of things that make a studio run well, then you got a person who, who out of the box, if they're sharp, goes into an EMI and fits in immediately. So for instance, Diego uh, got hired at EMI. He works at Capital. He's been there for, I guess, maybe almost three years now. So he works with uh, Al Schmidt and Steve Genowick and 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 um, Paula Salvatore and all that kind of stuff. So he's he's been there. Okay. So here's my immediate reaction to that. I'm like, wow. So is there a is there a Blackbird book I can buy? No. <laughs> so, so here's the deal. So they're either there. I'm 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 putting together some other books too that are going to be free. I'm putting together one with the guys from John and Paul at, at New Gen Audio. Yeah, I don't know if you know those. I, I don't know them, but I know of New Gen Audio. Yeah, so they have a book, uh, or they have a product that just came out called Mix Checker, which is this fantastic thing where you can actually simulate how your mix will sound through uh, different streaming services, you know, and, uh-huh. and different sample rates and things like that. So you can kind of do, a, you know, a final listen, and and you know, when you hit some of those codecs too hard, it starts sounding really bad. So you can kind of tailor your mix for each platform, you know, and it's getting down to that anyway, because there's really no big standard as far as, you know, 
uh, LUFS and all that kind of, you know, things that happen at the other end when they encode, you've got to really be educated. And those guys, John, John and Paul at, at NewGen are really great code writers. They're really sharp. They're on the level of Fabrice that works uh, at EOSIS and works with Stephen Slate. So that level of code writing and, you know, really great stuff. So anyway, I'm working on a book for that um, piece of uh, software that'll probably be free. And then the thing about Blackbird is we're, we're an exclusive club. We, we're not exclusionary, but we're really picky about uh, the students that come there to make sure it's a good fit, which uh, frankly is lacking at some other schools where, you know, if you if you uh, can fog the mirror, uh, you can you can get in, but not not here. So because we, <laughs> I like that. We don't have space, you know. Honestly, and it's 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 a practical thing for us too. Is we have X amount of seats. We only do 120 students a year on the recording side, just because it's a working studio as well. You know, yeah. you know, studios have been doing recording schools over the years. It's nothing new. But and, and as soon as we started putting this together, I knew the level of what we were going to do was unlike anybody else, just because of the way John was like, for instance, like, you know, you saw the mic locker in A. Oh, yeah. Uh, so and I asked early on when I was just taking meetings, even before I was hired, I said, OK, so I'm trying to get my head around this. So so how many of the mics will be available to students? And John, just without a, losing a beat, he just said all of them, everyone. So 47. Yeah. So, you know, everything. So I was like, okay, well, if you're in that deep, we're, we're going to make this thing work. So it's just incredible. His passion for audio is equal, you know, at the live end and the recording end when he works. And then also at the educational end when, he, you know, when, when it's the students, you know, he gives them access to everything, well, all the drum kits. Well, the level of everything. detail you're talking about, like even just like labeling stuff, like I eat that crap up and I would like... I would consume a book like that that said, yeah. you know, here's the Blackbird way. Yeah. So my next question is, is and, I, and I'm not asking for myself, but are these only beginning students or are there older students with lots of experience? The answer is yes. So, so the, the most challenging thing is to make the experience the same for everybody. You know, I would say people who come to Blackbird a lot of them have either had studios and reached a dead end in their career or have been in other schools and realized that they're in a four-year program where they're not going to see a studio till year, the end of year three. Mm -hmm. We've had this too, a retired brain surgeon that is a hobbyist that's always wanted to have a studio at his house and wants to make it, uh, you know, must do it right. Or for instance, right now we've got a student is a, a, a drummer from a band that you and uh, anyone would know. So, you know, famous musicians, word has gotten around that, that this is the program to be in. So we get any and all. And a lot of times, I would say almost every time when somebody has gone a, down a path, either on their own or in another direction, I have to unteach that. So it's easier, honestly, to teach somebody from the ground up because I can say, okay, look, here's how we're going to do this. And this, the, the reason is not because it's my way, because it's the Blackbird way and it's the smartest way to do it at this point in time. You know, how to, how to jump between songs on a tracking date, you know, mm -hmm. how to, you know, easily and quickly and have the same tracks come up with the same ins and outs. And it's not nine times out of 10 people do that wrong. They're, they're, they're saving as, or, or, or saving a copy. And that's not how we do it. It's actually our way is much easier. So, and I, I took that from the Blackbird guys. I wish you guys would do a uh, a weekend crash course in uh, studio refinement. Like for those guys like me who have been at it for over 20 years who want to yeah. kind of, you know, tighten it up in a few areas. 
that's not a bad idea. We did uh, for the first uh, two, two or three years, we did weekend Pro Tools workshops and I taught those. Our biggest success has been with summer camps. So we get kids that are high school age and we either do a three-day recording or a three-day, two-day live, a five-day summer camp. We've got last year, a kid came from Ireland to do it. <laughs> We've got a lot of Canadians, uh, uh, somebody, uh, a couple of people from South America. Right now, I have a student from China. We had three from Australia last year. We got a kid from Israel in its current class. So internationally, we're starting to get some cred. Also, what I did for uh, along those lines is I did a beginner series for Hal Leonard called the Blackbird Foundation series. It's at Groove3.com. So, and I targeted that because I, I you know, I, I see all the stuff that's out there, which is great. I love what uh, Fab is doing with Pure Mix, and there's a couple other sites that are really great too. Uh, Joey Sturgis has some really cool stuff going on. In spite of having been at it for all this time, I am within the last couple of years have just really embraced the beginner's mindset. And I told some people I was doing mix with the masters and they were like, why are you doing it? Uh, because it's Chad Blake. Yeah. I'm going to go learn from, yeah. why would I yeah. not do it? Are you crazy? Yeah. So I, I I'm, I'm just kind of curious about your opinion about that, about, uh, not being too that. proud to go and learn. No, no, no. And especially, um, Especially now, since things have changed radically, even in the last five years, you know, how, how Pro Tools has evolved and how uh, great plugins have become, mm-hmm. you know, to catch up on that stuff. I, I'm on Pure Mix all the time. I, I you know, I downloaded Andrew Shep's template. I watched his um, mix of the Green Day uh, Bang Bang record. Uh, I went on and uh, did his template class. And I ended up blowing my own mind from that, just from what he was doing. And I reworked, uh, reworked a bunch of stuff in some books that I'd had out, and I created some other, other new books. I, I think I came up with three new books from that. One's called Parallel Universe, where I talk about parallel processing. <laughs> uh-huh. And it's, it's a great thing. And it, it takes you know what he does with a rear bus and what he does with uh, kick and snare crush and all the dirt tracks and things like that. I took that and ported it over to the tracking side. So we're doing that when we track now. What Andrew is doing in his mix inside the box, we're doing live uh, at when the band tracks. So all those parallel chains, like three or four of them are happening and we're recording them on that great Neve console in Studio A or when we go to Studio D. And just to continue to praise our friend Andrew is, uh, you know, I'm subscribed to the uh, Mix with the Masters video series and I watched uh, him do a mix and immediately was like, okay, I got to try a bunch of this shit. And yeah. boom, I, I put out a series of mixes for a couple bands and they were like, wow. Yeah. You know, it's, it's ch- instant. It's instantaneous too. It really is. It's really is. funny how, how it works. So uh, those parallel chains, which I, you know, I know how to do a parallel chain, but the way he was doing it and how he was folding it in and doing things to a degree, I thought I would think like, wow, that's a lot. I mean, he's doing a lot of parallel, you know, and how is that going to sound, you know? And the, But when you listen to it, it doesn't sound, especially it's the blend that that really is important with that. Even in, and I've told students this from the first class I've taught is when I watched guys like Mick Kozowski or, or Umberto or um, uh, any of the guys that I would sit with, you know, on a day-to-day basis and assist, it's not one thing. It's not five things. It's a hundred little tiny steps that they do. And then all of a sudden, especially with Mick, because I, I spent uh, quite a bit of time, it would be this moment. And I would, I ended up waiting for it, you know, a, 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 you know, when he'd mix where it was like, uh Oh, this is a record. This is, 
you know, and it's it's a palpable, tangible thing to your ear. Where all of a sudden there's this thing that happens. It's hard to explain. So it's almost you can't put it into words. That there's kind of a finished quality to it that wasn't there before. Because you heard, I mean, I'm, I heard it when you first put up the faders. You know, to the you know to four or five hours later, and all of a sudden he's doing this thing, and he says, "Hey, patch me this, and let's do a parallel." Da da da. And I got to do it. And he's 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 moving around, and he's doing a lot of stuff. Just just not even looking at numbers. Just you know, he's reaching and he's looking and he's listening. And and then I, he would just get it, you know, and it would be like a couple little trailer things that he'd automate or whatever. And then all of a sudden, boom, he'd say, you know, call the producer and let's go. Let's, listen, you know, let him listen to it. And he'd say, oh, you know what, man, I think that word or can we put more reverb on the, whatever, that's my thing. But it was 99% there, you know, so incredible. And that's what Andrew does too. Andrew, you know, he's, he's doing all these things, you know, the kick snare crush and the dirt track and the, all the things that he's built into his template that some are, are, are grayed out. And he says, oh, it's there if I need it. That's what I loved about his template was there was all these things, you know? Mm-hmm. And he says, if I need it, it's there. And if I don't need it, it's just disabled. You know, it's, it's bypass or not bypass, but it's disabled. And so, and he made that work. So I thought, now I'm going to take this and put it into tracking. So I'm just kind of taking his thing, which is how it always worked. You know, you took somebody else's idea and you ran with it and did your thing. And then somebody else did that. And, you know, you learn, learn, learn. It's it's an incredible way to learn. So, and, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. So anyway, the Hal Leonard series that I created, I saw everybody's doing this stuff for the average, you know, guy who's been around for a while. And I'm going to do it for like the average fifth grader who doesn't know, who doesn't know anything. Yeah. And, but I'm going to do it at Blackbird level. So I'm going to, it's like Blackbird from space, you know? Yeah. So if you look at it like Google Maps, right? So you can see the layout and I don't go into too much detail because, you know, you'll put them to sleep. So uh, if you start arguing about like, you know, I had some comments on the series like, well, you know, you talk about impedance, but what about capacitance and data and all these, throwing all these numbers? I said, you know, to myself, I didn't answer the guy, but I just said, look, if we go into that, you know, kind of the the depth of uh, of a gear sluts rant. People are going to fall asleep, especially a, a fifth grader. You know, so you can't do that. You got to present it in a very pictorial way with a lot of visual and a lot of quick cuts, and then get through it, and then move and move and move and move and move and and especially a Blackbird, which is eye candy for anybody. You know, just like you're. You know, I, I bought a DJI Osmo gimbal mounted camera, and I'm doing 4K. You know, really nice smooth video. So I, I put it all together and, and Hal Leonard got a really nice voiceover guy. So it's an eight part series and it's on their, it's on their site. And now they're doing some workbooks so that the teachers at the, you know, physical paper workbooks, so you can work through it and take tests and things like that. So Where, where's the best place for people to absorb your educational material that you have out there? Yeah, it's uh, groove3.com. Groove3.com. It. It's, it's 15 bucks a month subscription for thousands of videos, you know, uh, on very th- all musical or like pl- guitar playing and all this kind of stuff. So it's a very broad range of, uh, of topics. Okay. And then keep your eye on the Blackbird website, I would say, in case we do uh, classes. If you have a high school age kid, come and do the summer camp. It's a mind blower. So like day one, we come in and we do an orientation and we show them Blackbird. We take them on the tour, take them to the drum room and the mic locker, kind of the tour you got. Right. And then we talk about signal flow and how it happens in a studio. And we talk about acoustic design and movable acoustics and things like that. And then the second day we bring in a band and in the morning they... um, record a band, literally, you know, we have them sitting down at the console and doing things. And 
And uh, it's a lot of hands-on. And then we do some overdubs with them as the talent, because generally these kids all play an instrument or sing or whatever, most of them. And then the third day, we break them into two groups in two studios. We mix it and have a kind of a competition. Mm -hmm. And then after lunch, we bring the parents in and do playback. And then McBride comes in and talks to them. Or we've had Dan Huff come talk to them. Or Christian Bush from Sugarland came in and talked to them about the industry or uh, that kind of thing. Interesting. On the topic of the inspiration and learning and fighting, fighting the uphill battle. I want you to tell me, uh, from your perspective, your experience of, uh, uh, David Platalero. Oh boy. Yeah. Well, as you see, uh, no, you can't see if, unless you're on Skype here, but I have my riding jersey on and we're, we're, uh, you'll, you'll hear about this more, uh, towards AES, but, uh, we're putting together an incredible event for next year that's going to involve a lot of audio gear and a lot of giveaways and a lot of really cool things happening based around a cycling experience. That's going to be a small crew of audio engineers um, that are going to go about 500 miles on a on a trek that's going to be supported by uh, donations and it's going to generate a lot of money for music cares. So um, I, I I don't have all the details yet because we're putting it together right now, but I did a big push at NAM with some very close manufacturer friends and and the response has been fantastic. So um, anyway, you'll see that about, about AES time. In fact, I'll probably rely on you to to maybe do a little. Uh, interview with David or something Absolutely. around that time. Would be yeah. So anyway, so how this happened was, and it's a heartbreaker. A year ago in June, um, David had started school and in his third week- At Blackbird. At Blackbird Academy, yeah. He was riding his bike home and he crossed Franklin Pike on a green light with a bunch of other cars and a texting driver hit him and sent him 15 feet into the air and about 40 feet back. And he broke his spine in three places- and tore up his arm, and it was just a horrible, horrible thing. So he uh, was in the hospital. Uh, John McBride was the first one in the hospital because his parents were in Knoxville. So John McBride heard about it and immediately went to the hospital and, sp- and hung with him uh, until the parents got there. So, you know, and, and David knew John because he had introduced himself at the school. And basically, you know, you think about that and you're his age, uh, you know, mid mid-20s. And you think your life's over, you know? You can't walk and they they, they th- don't think you're going to ever walk again or even have any kind of feeling below your waist. So he went to the Shepherd Center, which was in Atlanta, and did some heavy re- rehab. And he had a surgery on his back to get it stabilized. And he fought back to where now he graduated a few weeks ago. And uh, he was walking with forearm, forearm canes up to the stage to get his diploma, you know? We did a fundraiser for him. Music Cares helped him out. They paid his rent for a while. He went on Katy Perry's streaming show with Casey Musgraves and did a little uh, thing there. So very talented kid, very dedicated, and a spirit of drive and passion that I've never seen anywhere else. You know, it's incredible what he's gone through and how he's fighting back, and he's he's gaining a little bit more every day. And so he doesn't even know how far it's going to go. It could be this as far as he gets. You know. He's still reliant on um, on catheters. He, you know, uh, he t- doesn't have a lot of control below his waist. And he put a blog post up the other day that brought me to tears. You know, talking about his life and the fact that he's not a victim. He met this incredible girl. They just got engaged, and he would have never met her had he not gone through this experience. I mean, anytime I want to complain about anything, I just look at uh, you know 
what he's done and it just kind of sets you back on your heels and go like, okay, I have nothing to complain about. And for the listeners, I'll, I'll put a link uh, in the show notes to uh, David's website and you got to watch this video that uh, was done. And like Kevin's saying, you know, if you think you got shit to complain about, you need to watch this video and you need to really yeah. get inspired and get off your ass. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's still going through it. His uh, catheter bill per month is $4,000. I don't even understand that, but... That's a whole other thing. So, uh, and next year he goes off his parents' insurance. So there's another hurdle. So, you know, so, you know, it's an ongoing experience for him. But if you meet him, you would never guess that that's behind the curtain, you know? I mean, he's not one of these guys that's kind of, you know, like, oh, what's, you know, poor kid, you know? He smiles, he makes jokes, he gets around. He's got, I mean, it's like, it's not like it never happened because you can see and you know from his blog posts and his Facebook thing that what, what's going on with him. And I, I'm good friends with his dad too and his mom. We've gotten pretty close. And, you know, this event we're doing next year is meant to be a next chapter for him. And and it's it's going to be incredible. And nobody's ever done it. I mean, they've done bike rides for charities and, and ALS and arthritis and things like that. But this thing's completely different. It's it's going to be supported by all the manufacturer friends uh, I've made over the years through my gigs at magazines, which I've got a you know I got three thousand phone contacts in my iPhone. <laughs> Back when I poured it over, I poured it over. I went to a uh, I went to a Samsung phone, and the girl says, "Oh yeah, I can pour it over your contacts from your Apple phone." And she goes, "You know, you have thirty five hundred phone contacts." <laughs> I said, "I had no idea." So. Um, Anyway, so uh, and, and anybody I talk to about it, it, it they're a hundred percent in, and whatever they can do, they're going to do. You know, to the level they can do it, and we're looking for a title sponsor right now, and we're gonna we're gonna take it to the. You know, it, it's going to be really something. That's amazing. So, um, so a couple things I want to ask you before uh, we wrap up, and uh, I want to ask you over at Blackbird, do they talk about money management at all with the students? Yeah, Mark gets into that in the classroom side. They they do a whole thing with like how to do a resume, how to how to manage your money, you know, the fact that you're an independent contractor, you got to do your own taxes, things like that. That's more of a classroom side okay. experience, which which is where it should be because and Mark Mark, you know, is the perfect person to teach that because he's had Pogo for I mean, I don't, since the 80s, right? Yeah. Yeah. In your typical day, are there any uh, routines or habits that you do each day? to get your day going. And I always bring up the examples. Some people go running, some people smoke pot, some people meditate. Oh. What are your routines? Well, right now I'm training. Uh, I've always been a cyclist. So right now I'm training for this uh, event next year. I get up and I, I've always been a f kind of a foodie and I, I eat a really healthy breakfast. That's not your typical thing. It's, it's, um, kind of a blended experience and I'll eat some protein like a, like egg whites or things like that. So I don't do a lot of added salt and it's fairly, the average person would probably cringe, <laughs> but at the same time, I mean, last night we had pizza, so I'm not, I'm not a monk. So I do that. And then I just love going to work every day, you know, so we'll do that and uh, I'll get there and we start at nine or 10, depending on the group and what we're doing. And we're setting up for a band or we're getting into some kind of workflow uh, with training or things like that. So it's all it's all mapped out. And I have to give per, uh, props to Jeremy Cottrell, who's who's um, doing it with me over there, that nobody really meets him until they come through the studio. But 
he's a great addition to uh, the Blackbird experience. And he actually helped build Blackbird in the early days in 2002. He was doing the wiring. He knows where the bodies are buried and every cable and <laughs> what's what's behind the walls and all this kind of stuff at a level that not many people know at Blackbird, still at Blackbird. So, Are there quotes that you live by that keep you moving forward? Yeah. So, okay. I, I just wrote a column about this. It's going to be in an August mix. Um, John McBride says this all the time. He says, great is the enemy of good. And at first I was like, what does that mean? You know, as I'm not sure. Uh, um, uh, I'm sorry, good is the enemy of great. So basically, you know, and that's the Blackbird philosophy is that what you can do good, you can do much better. So you might as well just do it great. Is there anything that we may have left out that you want to talk about? I would say uh, go get the RIN plugin. I have no financial gain or anything in that that experience, (laughs) but... uh, Nor do I want any. It should always be free. In fact, I watched uh, Givri on on Pensado uh, yesterday. And he said it'll always be free. You know, the plugin will always be free, which it should be. So I would just say, go get Rin and start getting in the habit of putting metadata. I mean, if there's something that would just cost you time and no money and get you in the habit of doing the right thing and workflow wise, then go start doing it, you know? Yeah, I would agree. And and, and I will definitely uh, put the word out as often as I can to so we get this thing adopted by everybody and everybody's uh-huh. moving in the same direction. Yep, I agree. So it's been an absolute pleasure to be on the show and I appreciate you asking me. Well, thank you for taking the time to be on. I, uh, you know, I've known your name for many, many years and I think we met in passing maybe once. Uh, just kind of, a, oh, this is Kevin. This is, me- oh, hi. Okay, bye. Uh, kind of a thing. But uh, uh, great to be able to uh, chat with you at length today on the show and thank you again. Cool. Well, thanks, Matt. Kevin Becca here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Great information. Glad we could have Kevin on. Thanks, Kevin. Uh, Do want to remind you to subscribe to the show via your favorite podcast aggregator, such as iTunes. And while you're at iTunes, if you don't mind, leave us a positive review. Also, subscribe to the email list and obviously follow us, like us on all social media, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. So uh, that's it. We are out of time. So, of course, we want to start thanking everybody, including Cliff Truesdale, Cole Williams, and Chuck Smith. Want to thank our sponsors, of course. Want to thank Gearslets.com, Audio-Technica, Focal Monitors, Universal Audio, and Lawton Audio. And, of course, thanks to you for listening. I appreciate it. Take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware... Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear, including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio, this is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to gearspace.com, check out Audio Life, many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on gearspace.com. So check that out.